0: My name is Anthony, I'm one of the pastors here, I want to say hello to everybody in all the campuses, everybody here, everybody online, I just say hello and welcome. I am so glad you are here today, because we are examining what Jesus himself said and what he taught, and we are asking ourselves, what if Jesus was really serious? And how would it be if we took everything he said seriously? It's going to be powerful if you are joining us for the first time. We are so glad you are here. If you're an experienced Christian, just say, hey, watch out. Some of what we will look at might reshape your assumptions, and all that will be good. I promise you that. So we're going to dive into what we call Salmon on the Mount as we look into what Jesus said and keep asking, was he serious with what he's saying really right now? And did he mean for us to do what he was saying? Because if he didn't, then he was a fool. But we don't think he was a fool. Last week Ben started us with what is a section of Beatitudes. It's all about how Jesus brought down his kingdom and taught us his ways of his kingdom which he called Kingdom Manifesto, telling us who is truly blessed, and Ben told us not just the strong or the rich or the good-looking that are truly blessed in Jesus' kingdom. No, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who mourn. And sometimes blessed are those who are being persecuted. If Jesus was serious, does that make you feel like our lives are upside down. And if it feels like our lives are upside down, and maybe it is, we're going to examine all that. We also started a brand new resources where you can text questions, and these questions are being answered by Ben and Luke and Cole. We saw last week, it was super awesome. And you can text those questions on a number that will appear and dive into it enjoy those podcast videos and you can share. Let's check this video out as we see a sample of what it's going to be this week.
1: Well, I'm an environmentalist <laughs> expert. So that's what we He's planting environmentalist experts give You're as You are a gifts. tree hugger. Uh, we hugged we <laughs> no, hugged you the were the hugging a lemon <laughs> tree. <laughs>
0: we hugged the tree when you gave it to us since you, you know, asked me to talk about it with you. I'm going to say what does the Bible say? If somebody has heard what the average person that goes to church thinks heaven is. There's a there's a possible chance that they didn't quite tell you what the what scripture's yeah. really teaching on it. Yeah. We care for creation because of our relationship with the creator. How do we complex? find ourselves yeah. in a division over something that seems scripturally yeah. so straightforward? Yeah, I'll say it this way, and this might kind of make somebody angry, but I think we a lot of Christians have landed kind of on the wrong side of
2: this historically.
0: Text Life, you're going to get a link that you can go in there and watch those videos and share away as much as you want. Today, we're going to look into three important ideas that Jesus teaches. First, he begins by emphasizing for us and to us that he looks at what is inside of us more so than what is outside. He wants to change us from inside. He wants us to be the right people from inside. Then we can do the right things. So we're going to look at him seriously and see how he can help us, especially in three big ideas. Have you struggled with anger? With somebody you've been angry with for a long, long time, Jesus will help us. Know how to change and how to deal with other people. It's going to be anger. How about resentment? Are there people you just love to hate? (laughs) Contempt and you resent and it's been going on forever. We're going to hear what Jesus says about that. And then we're going to hear about how sometimes we have wrestled with lust. And how he can come in us and help us go and learn and change from inside to what it's outside. And today I'm not alone. I have three friends up here. I have Erin and Greg, they are pastors here at Mountain Christian Church. And Erin will tackle the subject of anger. And Erin, take it away.
2: All right. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate it. My name is Aaron Schwab, and like Anthony said, I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain. And uh, this cute picture of my family uh, should become, there they are. Okay, this is my family. Uh, That's my husband, Brandon, he looks like a giant. And uh, me (laughs) with my two kids, Ella and Luke, they are 10 and 8. And the reason I'm showing you this picture is because we're going to spend a few minutes unpacking just one and a half verses Of Scripture it's a small passage but it has a big impact and it's had an impact on everyone in that photo so here it is in Matthew 5 21 through 22a Jesus says you've heard that it was said to the people long ago you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment so Jesus is saying here yeah don't murder and don't be angry either. And I remember the first several times I read this, I thought, that seems pretty unreasonable. And honestly, it seems a little unfair, too. I mean, you can probably think of a time recently when you were angry with someone and you were probably justified. Or maybe someone was angry with you and they were justified. But you know, that just, that just seems normal and because it's so normal, we can begin to feel like we have a right to be angry. Or at the very least, anger is unavoidable. I mean, maybe we can, we can manage it, like get it under control. Or, or we, can, we can stuff it down. Uh, or, or express it in healthy ways. But to say we shouldn't get angry, well, that just seems too extreme. Jesus couldn't have meant that. And yet here it is, Jesus puts anger on par with murder. So what do we do with this? Well, first I think we need to make an important distinction. The Bible talks about two kinds of anger. Righteous anger and everything else. Righteous anger arises when what is precious to God has been violated. And our response to righteous anger is meant to be healing and restorative. You know, for instance, maybe you've experienced outrage at the way that children are being affected by war right now, and that motivates you to go out to the store and buy clothes and food and donate them to this church as part of the Ukrainian relief efforts. Children are precious to God, and when they are victimized, righteous anger is an appropriate response. Likewise, If what is precious to God that has been violated is you. If you have experienced any kind of physical or emotional abuse, it is okay to be angry. God is angry about what happened to you too. And he wants you to know that you are worthy and valuable and he wants to heal your heart and your mind. And he wants you to reach to him for restoration because he deeply loves you. You know, situations of war and abuse are are not the only instances when righteous anger can arise, and we don't have more time to talk about that today except to say righteous anger is not what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. Instead, Jesus is talking about the everything else kind of anger, the anger he never meant for us to carry and yet has become so normal in our lives that we can't imagine life without it. It's the kind of anger it gets defensive, that just walks away, gives the silent treatment, wants to get someone back, entitles us to say or think whatever we want, it damages relationships, it leads to bitterness and unforgiveness, resentment, hardened hearts. And I believe Jesus says we shouldn't get angry not because he's trying to set a goal that we can't achieve, but because he wants to set us free from this kind of anger. God gave us our emotions, including anger, but that isn't so we can do whatever we want with them. And yet, that's exactly what we do. At least, that's what I've done. I remember when I was a teenager and the movie I wanted to watch on TV wouldn't play right, and so I stormed off and stomped up to my room, slammed the door, and I kicked a hole in my wall. I remember when I was a young adult, I got so angry and I clenched my jaw so tight, I chipped a tooth. And I I don't even remember what I was angry about. I remember the first time I got angry with my daughter. She was only two. And I clenched my fists and I yelled at her. And the very next day when she got frustrated, watched her do the same thing for the first time. And then there's all those times that I rolled my eyes, slammed doors, just walked away, responded in a dismissive tone, or replayed over and over in my mind how I'd tell someone what I really thought. Maybe some of those things sound familiar to you. It took me a long time to figure out that anger signals that something we deeply value has been violated. And God wants us to reflect on what that something is. Psalm 4.4 says, In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Anger may arise in serious or trivial circumstances, but it always points to something much deeper. Something that's even become a part of our identity And it's hard work to explore these deeper parts of ourselves. These aren't the things that we think about on a daily basis. We often don't question the assumptions that we live into. And usually we don't even really know that they're there because they were baked into our way of thinking a long time ago in our lives. But anger is the fruit of something else that has taken root. And I've learned that it's important to identify those roots, to be able to name those values and assumptions that I hold so dear because so often they do not align with what our loving God wants for me. So Jesus invites us inward to discover the root of our anger, to surrender it to Him and to be set free. I have a garden in my backyard and the weeds were terrible (laughs) last year. Uh, every day or every other day, I was out there pulling up these little weeds that had popped up through the soil. And uh, after a couple weeks of this, I started using a trowel and digging down next to each weed and kind of popping it off at the root uh, underneath the soil. And that would buy me several more days, but uh, I would wind up having to weed again and again because they just kept coming up. I was never able to dig deep enough to find the entire root. You know, on the surface, the garden looked great because I kept up with the weeding, but I knew it was only a matter of time before I had to deal with those weeds again. And the problem was I didn't know where the deepest roots were. It was the same way with anger for me. I would keep working at it and God helped me to keep it under control, but it was still there. Sometimes I could dig a little deeper with God and feel like I'd really made some progress. But it was still there. The problem was I didn't know where the deepest roots were. But God did. Daniel chapter 2 reminds us that our God is the one who reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. And when I finally had the courage to ask him to shine his light into the dark places within me, To reveal the deep and hidden things. Help me to find the roots of my anger. Help me to surrender it to you, God. He did. And it changed me. He shined light into the darkness. And he helped me find the deep and hidden roots. Of hiding my shame. Compensating for my worthlessness. Listening to fear, defending self-preservation. Those values that I held so dear, and whenever they were poked, whenever they were violated, would produce anger in me. Even if by God's grace, I didn't respond to it. He helped me surrender those roots to Him. And the crazy thing is, in exchange, He planted good things in me, Because renovation requires not just that we take out what's old, but that we replace it with something that's new. And he gave me his peace, which is so thorough and awesome. I can't understand it. Just like it says in Philippians four. And he gave, he gave me the same power that raised Christ from the dead and the assurance that that power is at work in me. Like it says in Ephesians one, And he gave me tremendous value because he delights in me, like it says in Psalm 18. And he's helping me to do the hard work of healing what my anger had broken. I thank God that Jesus was serious when he said, don't be angry, because he was talking to me. And the good news is, he's talking to you too. When Jesus warned us against getting angry, he didn't do it to give us an impossible rule to follow. He did it to invite us to the freedom that only he can give when we allow him to unearth the deep roots of our anger. So what are your roots? I've been praying you'd want to know the answer to that question and that you'd trust in our loving God to renovate your heart and set you free. And that can start today.
0: Man, thank you so much for your sincerity and pray the Holy Spirit helps us Mm -hmm. dig deeper in the roots and find that freedom that Jesus promises to give us. Now we're gonna turn to Greg to continue this
1: portion. Yeah, so we're here to talk about contempt Contempt. Um, So this series is called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And for someone my age, it's like nearly impossible to take the word contempt seriously because nobody says it. But that doesn't mean it's not an important topic. So let's start with a working definition. Contempt is the emotion assigned to something, someone, or some people you think are worthless or disgusting. So we probably wouldn't use contempt in a sentence, Hardly ever, but what would we say? We might say that someone is cut off or if they're a notable public figure, we would say that they're canceled. Or if it's like the worst person in the world, like the worst, like a Steelers fan. Like if- Uh.
2: Greg, I'm a Steelers fan.
1: Oh, come on. (laughs) Okay, so look, look, you're, 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 you're the exception. My boy Andre at Edgewood, you're the exception too. But, but seriously though, if we run across a Steelers fan in the lobby, what are we going to do? We, we po- or they text us, we probably ghost them, leave the communication one-sided. And when we do that, we're probably thinking, hey, we're not really doing anything serious here. You know, this, per- this person is not worth my time, or they're just really annoying. And the thing about it is, um, the reality of it, is that we carry our relationships wherever we go. Whether you're online or you're in one of our physical spaces here, you probably went on a journey that looks something like this, right? So we're all in this together. You're gonna follow this arrow with me, okay? So we're on our way to offer ourselves fully to the Lord in worship, right? And then we hit this moment, represented by this dotted line here, where we think about that relationship that has gone sideways, right? But instead of dealing with it in that moment, what we do is that we avoid it. And then we find our way here, all the while knowing that there's another person in the equation. Now, before we dive into this a little bit more, the situations that we're talking about are not abusive relationships. We here at Mountain, we want to be a community that helps you heal from an abusive relationship. So that's not what we're dealing with here. But I want us to sit with this person right here. Is there a relationship in your life that isn't right? I want you to sit with this face. I want you to give this person a face, a name. I want you to really, really think about who this person might be. Because I could give a whole bunch of stats and probably give a whole bunch of figures to give this person some reality, but you guys probably know who this person is intuitively. So I want to give us a second to pause and to think about that person. here's the crazy thing. Somehow, with contempt, it finds its way into this complex weave of emotions that creates relationships that end up like this. And while it wreaks havoc on our relationships, we don't deal with it. We just avoid it because we don't say the word, or we just don't handle it. So we're going to need to name it. We're going to need to name it. And we'll also need a guide to free us from contempt. And that's where we turn to Jesus. In Jesus' day, there were some common words for for contempt. So common that when he took the hillside in Galilee to start his public teaching ministry, Matthew records him saying these words as stock phrases that everyone in front of him would have known. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 5, verse 22, right where Aaron left off. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So in some translations, it leaves the Aramaic term "raqa" left untranslated where we have our English word insults. And that word raqa is literally made in the Aramaic to, to mimic the sound you make when you, you're about to hawk a loogie. And then the word for you fool is where we get our English word moron from. So these are words that are right up there with what we would use today. And Jesus is a great teacher. He's connecting with the people in front of him, and he's taking them in a direction. And where is he taking them? Real places. Real places that real judgment happened that the people sitting there that are, you know, hearing it would have been very familiar with. The first of those places was the council. And in the original inflection, it was referring to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the governing body of politics and religion for the the people of Israel. So picture like church and the White House combined. That's what the Sanhedrin was for the people of Israel. And then the second place was the hell of fire, Gehenna to Peru. That refers to... um, Gehenna, the the valley of slaughter. And there, that's where the people of Israel burnt their trash. And it might not seem that serious when we're talking about that. But it's also linked to one of the darkest moments in the people of Israel's entire history. It's a deep rabbit hole. Jeremiah 7 is the start to that rabbit hole. If you're interested on your own time, that would be a great place to start. So why does all of that even matter, right? Why does any of that even matter? Uh, come into our discussion on contempt. It's because when we think of hell or council biblically, we think of, like, consequences that are going to be happening later. We don't think about something that's going to be happening now. But that's not how Jesus thought of contempt. Jesus was saying and investing that these places, with their theological significance— all for the purpose of saying that contempt is a real dangerous thing right now in our relationships with our spouses, with our friends, with our coworkers, Contempt will consume us like a fire if we don't take it seriously. And I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that when my phone screen lights up, and I see it's my dad, and I sometimes take the light, and not answering the phone right away or sometimes ignoring it altogether. I've seen it when I was younger. When I was in middle school, I was bullied so severely that it was no longer fun to make fun of me anymore. Like I was just completely ignored, a complete outcast. And maybe you can relate. So what do we do? What is Jesus telling us to do with all of this? If we've been burned or we're the ones responsible, where do we go, where do we turn? Here's the bottom line. If we don't go, we won't grow. In verse 23, we start to see a discernible pattern. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So we see a pattern, a pattern that is different than the one that we saw before. And it starts similarly. So we're on our way, and Jesus is saying, you're going to offer, right? And then you hit that same point that we were at before. We're thinking about it. Jesus says, you remember it. It hits you. But in in Jesus' paradigm, what happens is, is that you first go. You first go. And here's the thing. We're talking about offerings. We're talking about sacrifices. We're talking about all these different things. And that's a reference to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Something really brief on that. It's not only about sin. It's also about formation. It's about the people of God looking more like the people that can extend God's mission where it needs to go. So what Jesus is doing here is he's shifting the emphasis from religion religion to relationships. He's saying if there's something wrong in that relationship, there's something wrong with our relationship. So we must first go. The next step that we see is that we are to be reconciled. We are to be reconciled. And that's where we see that it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango here. So if you're this person, you need to have an open heart, practice hospitality, a discipline that will have you ready for when your brother or your sister comes to you. And this, by the way, is the disposition of hospitality. And then the next step that Jesus commands us to do is to return and to offer. And When we come to this point, what we realize is that when we're here, this pattern is the whole reason why we're here to begin with. Because we serve a God. We serve a God who, when he saw and he noticed that the world was broken, he didn't just stay, he came. He came in the midst of all of our darkness, all of our shame, all of our wars, factions, all the envy, all the racism, all the different things that we face. He came to be with us in our most darkest nights, our most anxious moments, and all of our depression. And he came not only to be with us, but to reconcile us to himself, including all things under heaven and, and in earth, everything being reconciled to him. And to do that, he had to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. And he found himself at the cross, and his nail-scarred hand is extended to us today. And that's why we're all in this room. So maybe your first step to handling contempt is to take that hand that Jesus has extended to you. And for us in this room that have accepted that hand, or us online that have accepted that hand, maybe we need to see this pattern clearly from Scripture and follow it because Jesus was serious, and this will free us from contempt. It's a pattern that we should follow.
0: Thank you so much. just want to reach out to that hand of love and say, help me. We're gonna continue digging deeper into his teachings, and I'll read a verse that goes after what Greg read. It's in Matthew 5, 27, where Jesus said, "'You have heard that it was said.'" He's quoting his Bible of the Old Testament. "'It was said you shall not commit adultery.'" And that part right there is focusing on somebody else's wife only. But Jesus comes and teaches into the spirit of the law. So that is the law. But Jesus goes deeper than that. And he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's going deeper showing us it's not just what you look it's the why is what is coming from inside it's the intention that makes us look that is bad it's internal not just the external he continues to say if your right eye causes you to stumble guard it out ouch it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your body to be thrown in hell And if your right hand causes you to stumble, Jesus said, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body goes to hell. You almost want to ask Jesus, like, really, Jesus? Are you serious with these things? Do you know what age and life and society we live in? Are you sure this is really serious? I... Have, have you seen our TVs and our phones and all the magazines everywhere you go? We live in a sex-saturated society. Are you serious, Jesus, that just a look is adultery? And we as church folk, sometimes we as Christians take that and respond in two kind of ways. One way is we just condemn it. The other way, we accommodate. Condemning both simplifies it and overreacts and says, it's wrong. All that is out there, it's so bad and it's so wrong and it's idolatry and there's nothing we can do about it. Just don't do it. I've been in communities and churches that just tell you don't and don't and it's wrong and it's bad but doesn't equip you with resources. Just makes us suppress. Accommodation, on the other hand, says we are weak, we are passive, there's so much going on all over the media and all over, and there's no way we can overcome. Let's just go along with it. We can't help it, it's just so much. And that has made us look like everybody else, the world and the church, because all the explicit materials that is bombarding us everywhere has made us helpless. That's the accommodating part. It almost makes us think we have no will, we have no intentionality. Both condemnation and accommodation are not necessarily helping us. They're saying we are just like sheep, without a rider, without a direction, swimming in these waters, in these sexual desires that surround us, and there's really nothing we can do about it. We are defeated. But Jesus, when you look into that word that he said, everyone who looks... In the original language, he says, everyone who looks with intention, with a purpose to last. He's talking about a willingness to. He's warning us if that will, if that ability to choose gets crushed, it becomes compulsive. It becomes a weakness, and we don't know how to deal with it anymore. Listen carefully what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not condemning sexual desires at all. He's not saying everything out there is bad. He's just saying if we keep just going along with it, we're going to get deformed, and that ability to choose will be crushed. We become compulsive. Real freedom does not come from external gratification of every appetite we have. True freedom is internal freedom. We are more than a piece of property that girl that woman that man is somebody's sister is somebody's mother we have value is somebody's father we are in god's image it's when we are not able to value each other we reduce it to us into objects jesus thinks sin is a big deal Why? Because he says, it will kill your soul. It will hurt your heart. It will ruin your life if you just keep going along with it. And therefore, if your eye is making you do that, remove it. If it's your hand, cut it. So this maybe was not a literal thing we have to do. But are we taking sin seriously? like Jesus is? What is it he's telling us to be serious about and we are not? What is it? Where are we continuing to justify our anger? Who is that one person in family we just love to hate? Every Thanksgiving we don't want to see them. How is it we wrestle with lust and we don't want to confess it? because we are so ashamed, but yet, we want to keep doing it. We want to keep harboring that problem in our heart. We have deeper yawnings of our soul that cannot be met by just cutting your hand, by just removing your eye. We all have deeper yearnings, and when those are not satisfied, We are looking for everything else out there to satisfy our soul. We need soul satisfaction that comes from God alone. This is why Jesus says on the mount, rules will not help only those who are blessed. Instead of rules, he's saying blessed. You're blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Blessed are you even when all your desires are not met. Because why? Because you're more than your desires. Blessed are you because you're more than your stomach. You're more than your appetite. You're more than your eye. You're more than your ear. Blessed are you. Jesus is driving us to realize we need a bigger, a deeper connection with himself and with his love, not just external stuff. Listen to me. If you want to take one thing today, you do who you are. The deep identity. Being goes before doing. God is, God does. And he does who he is. He looks at you and knows the depth of your identity. We are human beings, not human doings, but we're in a culture that all we do is like, hey, what do you do? What do you do, Greg? Jesus sees us deeper than that. When you get to know your identity, then you can make a covenant with your eyes. Then you're strong enough to say, I will not look with an intent because he can help me stay away from bad channels. He can help me put something on my phone. He can help me watch what I read, ask somebody to hold you accountable. We have Celebrate Recovery right here, where you can meet friends to help. We have spouses groups, we have an intended journey groups that you can go to confess what you're struggling with. Jesus looks us deeper than our struggles. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:21. He said, for our sake, Jesus was made sin. Even though he didn't sin, he was made sin so that you and I can be right. We can become righteousness of God. He has made you right. Jesus died to take your wrong, to take my guilt, to take my shame, And he has already made me right. It's so good. It's so easy. We don't believe it. It's free. Like, no way. There's no way he really means he's just made me right already. But all he wants is for me to believe. It's for me to take his word serious. And he's inviting you. He's calling us to that deeper soul satisfaction, a connection with his love, a true trust. Did you die on that cross? Are those nails really go through in your hands? And are you sure you can deal with me? He did that with me when I was 22 years old. I'm asking Jesus, are you sure you can handle me? Are you sure you can break my addictions? Are you sure? So, don't even try to change. Just come as you are. Take this gift of righteousness. And He's inviting you here today to take it. Many times when we're wrong and we're ashamed, we think, let me go walk it out first. Let me go help God first. But today He said, come. Those hands are right here. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for us today. What is it? Bring it in your mind, in your heart right now. Don't be ashamed. Don't run away. Just bring it. Just come as you are. I've been married 26 years, not because I think I'm super strong. It's because when I see wrong, when I see temptation, I run back to Jesus. And one day becomes a year, and a year becomes another year. Let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for being here tonight. We release our shame and our guilt because you want to make us right. We break all the wrongs. We break the liar. We break and confess. We need you. We need you today more than ever. Come, Holy Spirit, and rescue us and love us and satisfy us. Because we love you so much. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said Amen.